invite you to turn in your pew Bibles to, to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, that's on page 869. And as you're turning there, um, Veterans Day uh, was this past Tuesday, 11-11. And I uh, would like to, um, for us as a church family, to, to thank our veterans. Uh, I'm always fearful I'll forget someone, but... Uh, we're grateful for the service to our country of Joe Hugay, uh, Scott Fitzgerald, Bill Johnson, uh, Chris Rodriguez, and, and Carl Richard. Don't want to embarrass you, but if, if you would stand, and uh, we'd like to show our appreciation. Thank you, brothers. Hear God's word, Luke chapter 10, and we'll begin reading with verse 25. This next few Sundays, we prepare to uh, adopt a budget and uh, continue to serve the Lord. We'll be considering this um, biblical theme of stewardship. How should we uh, be wise givers, faithful givers, even generous givers of all those things that the Lord has blessed us with. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. uh, Hear the word of God. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, that is Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he Desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, He passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, 
you go and do likewise. Amen to this reading of God's holy and divinely inspired word. Uh, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you. We thank you for all of Scripture. We thank you for Old Testament, New Testament. We thank you for Deuteronomy. Thank you for uh, this Gospel of Luke that we've read together this morning. Lord, thank you that your word speaks directly, powerfully, lovingly to the, to the issues of our heart and to the needs of our world today, our need for the love of Christ. And Lord, pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work within each of our hearts, even now, that we would be hearers and doers of your word. All to your glory and praise, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in the day, many children, and yes, their parents, tuned in to PBS to watch Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Ran from February 1968 to August 2001. Imagine there's still reruns today. And if you've ever watched it, the the show opened with Mr. Rogers sliding into his sneakers, putting on a, a cardigan sweater as he sang one of his songs. I'm not going to sing it, but uh, the words are, it's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in a neighborhood with you. And, And if you saw that show at all, you would know that Mr. Rogers' neighbors included characters such as uh, I had to look this up to be refresh my memory. Scientist Adler, there was Chef Brockett, police officer Clemens, and the neighborhood doctor, David Crippens. And so at the end of this song, Mr. Rogers concluded with this question, won't you be my neighbor? In contrast uh, with Mr. Rogers' sweet and simple song, about neighbors, you know, we hear Jesus' parable about showing a costly compassion to bruised and bloody neighbors. Jesus calls us to give of our time, our talents, our money as we seek to show his love to hurting sinners. And would invite you to turn in your Bibles, keep your Bibles open there to Luke chapter 10, verse 25 and following. You know, here we see that Jesus' costly compassion uh, compels believers to express his love to their neighbor. Well, how can we as believers express Christ's compassion to our our neighbor? You know, in three words um, to serve as the outline, there's a foundation, there's fruit, And then there's a fact. We begin with the foundation. In Luke chapter 10, verse 25, compassion starts as we study God's law. 
That's the foundation. You know, the context here, if you look at all of Luke chapter 10, uh, Jesus has sent out the 72 to preach the gospel. He has pronounced woe on Chorazin and Bethsaida for their failure to repent. And then Jesus then rejoices as the 72 return. He blesses them because they have seen, heard, and shared the gospel. And a turn here. We get it, that clue there, that gospel clue in verse 25. And behold, you know, whenever you see that word behold, it it, it ought to cause us to, to stop and pay special attention, to listen up, to take heed, even for those who claim to be followers of Christ. You know, this parable is for you. It's for all of us. And it begins here with an inquiry of the lawyer. You know, a different way the lawyer is used here in gospel, a lawyer in Jesus' day was an expert scholar in the law of Moses. They were a trained theologian. They, they were sharp students of the word of God. And he asks a serious spiritual question, uh, but he asks it with the motive of testing Jesus. He seeks to snare Jesus, even to embarrass him, to expose him. And his question is, teacher, doesn't call him a rabbi, teacher, what must I do to gain possession of eternal life? Now that, that question was seems to be frequently asked to Jesus. It was asked by the rich young ruler in Matthew nineteen sixteen. You know, think of it this way he's proudly asking Jesus, you know, Jesus, what one good deed must I perform to secure eternal life? Speculating here, but I believe he, he's waiting for Jesus to pat him on the back and say, you've already done the good deed, you you have the assurance of eternal life. But but that was a a real spiritual question of Jesus' day. It ought to be a question of of our day. It was asked in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, verse 11, Ecclesiastes 3.11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. You know, every person that we meet has that God-implanted question in, in their minds and hearts whether they're able to express it or not. Is there eternal life? You know, what must I do to inherit Eternal life. And so we ask Jesus that question. But not in humility. You know, Calvin, John Calvin calls the lawyer an obstinate man. A man swelled with pride in whom no evidence of repentance is discovered. A self-righteous man. You know, but still Jesus listens to him. And not only listens to him, but 
lovingly guides him. Hear Jesus' instructions. Uh, There in, in verse 26, he said to him, you know, remember the lawyer knows the law. You know, what is written in the law? First five books of the Bible. How do you read it? How do you understand it? You know, I love Jesus' method of teaching. You know, when he's asked a question, he answers with a question. In fact, not one question, two questions. You know, why does he do that? He wants this man to think, to consider the spiritual condition of his heart. Jesus knows he's memorized the law. Meditate upon it. You know, but now Jesus is asking, you know, has the law pierced your heart? You know, is it just in your head? Are you able just to recite it? Or, or has the law of God graciously transformed your life? You know, it's one thing, you know, for us to study the Bible, but even for us today, that study of God's word should transform us from the inside out. Now listen to the lawyer's righteous reply. He directly quotes Deuteronomy 6.5. We studied that last week in Sunday school, the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God, the Lord is one, united. And then about loving God, and and then he, he quotes from Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. You know, both Deuteronomy and Leviticus from those first five books of the Bible He knows the Bible, and he gives the right answer, as we'll see. You know, these two commands, it said, were rightly regarded as forming the heart of the Jewish religion. These were foundational truths, and and look at Jesus' reply to him, verse 28. You have answered correctly, A+. But note the next part, do this and you will live. To literally translate, he says, keep on doing this if you persevere in doing this. If you're able to do this good of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself each and every day, each and every moment of your life until the Lord calls you home, you you will live eternally. A mere head knowledge of scripture and God's righteous requirement will not save us. Neither the lawyer, nor you, nor me. You know, Galatians chapter 3, verse 11 puts it this way. Galatians 3, verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. The one who does them shall live by them. Verse 13 of Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. You know, Jesus grounds his answer to the lawyer in the unchanging truth of God's word. You know, there, there is that shared foundation. And Jesus uses the truth of scripture um, 
as a gospel means to open this lawyer's heart so that he will hear the gospel, see his need for God's grace in Christ. You know, it starts with the law of God. Compassion starts as we study God's law. That's a good thing. You know, Fanny Crosby, um, the great blind hymn writer, I don't think we sang any of her hymns this morning, she wrote over 9,000 hymns in her lifetime, lived 1820 to 1915. But she memorized, even as a blind person, massive portions of Scripture. It's reported uh, that she memorized the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. She memorized the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Proverbs, Song of Solomon, many of the Psalms. And so when you listen to or when you look at the words of her hymns, you'll You can not only hear the words of scripture, but more importantly, you can hear her love for God's word, her love for Christ. You know, brothers and sisters in Christ, may we not only learn God's word, but may it lead us truly to love our God, to to love our neighbor as ourself. You know, not, not that we're saved by our good works, you know, but here, the, the God's law, God's word strengthens us, guides us in our walk of faith with Christ. A foundation, compassion starts as we study God's law, but the parable doesn't end there. Now the parable begins. There's fruit. Move from foundation to fruit. A compassion expresses the costly love of Christ to our neighbor. You know, look now at verse 29 of Luke 10. But he, you know, grabbing our attention, but he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself. You know, he, he's still seeking a, a works righteousness. You know, if, if I do the right thing, God will have to let me into heaven. He wanted to, to justify himself, to work his way into a right relationship with God. And so he asks the question. You know, who is my neighbor? You know, thinking that Jesus was going to let him off the hook. Quite the opposite. Uh, Jesus hooks him, doesn't let him go. Jesus tells a parable here. If you're not used to reading the parables, I know many of you are, but a parable, it said, is an earthly story with an eternal meaning. You know, I, I think of it rather as a, a, a story with a gospel nugget. You know, there, there's always going to be the gospel there. Uh, Roy Clemens called the parable a tale, T-A-L-E, a tale with a sting. You know, it, it's a story, but there's always a sting there, you know, to grab our attention. So Jesus tells this scriptural story with a gracious simplicity and, and a geographical understanding. You know, there, there is a dangerous road still today that leads from Jerusalem, city of Jerusalem, temple, down to the city of Jericho. 
Jerusalem is somewhere around 2,500 feet above sea level. Jericho is 700 feet or so below sea level. You know, so so quite a drop in in altitude. It's a 17-mile road and, and basically goes through wilderness. You know, when Lynn and I had opportunity to, to go to Israel, we didn't have to walk it. We took a bus. I would recommend that. And uh, we actually went from Jericho up to Jerusalem, um, not vice versa. But, but it's a desolate region filled with large boulders, dark caves. You know, if, if you were going to be a robber, this, this was prime territory. Uh, for for robbers, and it's a true to life story. You know, and there as you go through this parable, short parable, I know it's familiar. There are six characters. We have the robbed man, the robbers, the priest, the Levite, the Samaritan, and the innkeeper, and we begin with one man's pain. A man. That's all we know about him. Presumably he is a Jew, headed from Jerusalem down to Jericho. The robbers, plural, fall upon him. They strip him of anything that he owns. They beat him and then depart, leaving him half dead. You know, he's a beaten and a bloody man who's fixing to die. Helpless, hopeless, hurting. And then there are two passerbys at first. You know, first a a priest. There in verse 31. Now now a priest by chance, fortunately, propitiously, you know, comes upon uh, this robbed man, this hurting human. Scripture's very clear. He sees his painful plight. Shockingly, and, and it is, it ought to be a shock to us, the priest passes by on the other side. You know, why? You know, we can only speculate. Uh, some would say, well, he's returning home from serving in the temple. You know, he's, he's ritually clean. And if he were to come close or to touch a, a, a body, that would make him ritually unclean. And he couldn't even be in the presence of anyone else. If you hear this from Numbers chapter 19, verse 11. Numbers 19, 11, Whoever touches the dead body of any person shall be unclean seven days. He shall cleanse himself with the water on the third day and on the seventh day, and so be clean. But if he does not cleanse himself on the third day and on the seventh day, he will not become clean. So he would return home, and he couldn't be around his family, friends. He's unclean. So that could be one reason. Another reason could be, well, he's simply in a hurry. I I know you and I never are tempted that away. You know, looks at his Apple Watch and says, man, I've got an appointment to keep. I, I don't have time to bother with this. You know, he he's late for an important date. Now a Levite. 
comes along. A Levite is a priest's helper, so a little bit down uh, the, the chain of command, but still a Levite, knows the law, still concerned about ritual purity. So he arrives on the site of the awful attack. He too sees the wounded man, but like the priest, the Levite leaves him half dead, lying in the dust. Now verse 33, you know, and here is, is the, you know, the climax, the core of, of this parable. You know, as we come to the turning point of the parable, you know, I, I would speculate if Jesus were telling this story, preaching this story, that when he got to this point, he slowed down. He, he emphasized that, that, that word Samaritan. but a Samaritan. And I'm sure if there were a crowd there, there would have been audible boos, hisses. Nobody likes Samaritans except other Samaritans. You know, in the eyes of the Jews, they were hated half-breeds. They settled in the land of Israel during the Jewish exile, intermarriage with non-Jews, built their own temple at Mount Gerizim. You know, it's said that the Jews actually prayed that God would exclude these detestable foes from the life hereafter. Lord, we're looking forward to heaven, but don't let any of those Samaritans in. You know, but but look closely at the loving actions of the Samaritan. If you take account, eight or nine actions, you know, first he came close to this man in misery. You know, the others got as far away from him as they could. This Samaritan came close. He too saw him, his pain and his plight. And third and most importantly here, and really here's the the word that is is the center point, he had compassion. You know, there are some translations that say pity, but don't believe that's a, a strong enough translation. He had compassion on him. Compassion, not callousness. You know, compassion, you know, and it's a very specific word. It's an attribute of Christ. I'll give you two examples just from Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 7, verse 13, this is when Jesus is at that funeral of the grieving widow. We read this, Luke chapter 7, we'll begin with verse 12 and 13. As he drew near, that's Jesus, drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, He had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. And you know the rest of that gospel account. He not only speaks words of compassion, but he raises his son from the dead. So when we think of compassion, we must always be thinking of Christ. To give you one more example, Luke chapter 15, verse 20, another 
well-known parable, the parable of the prodigal son. And there in that parable, we read this, Luke chapter 15, verse 20. You know, this is when the prodigal son repents, headed, heads back towards home, Luke 15, verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. You know, compassion. You know, the compassionate love of Christ. More than, more than a feeling. You know, compassion always shows itself in loving action. R.C. Sproul And here's a little bit of trivia. I couldn't resist it. He actually was a classmate of Fred Rogers at Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. But R.C. Sproul wrote this. All three of the travelers saw the wounded man, but only the Samaritan had compassion on him. Glad Archie knew that. (laughs) There were others. And so that that compassion of the Samaritan stands out. You know, he came close to this suffering stranger. And, you know, I would submit to you it's a costly compassion. You know, we've seen already that he came close to the man. He saw him. He had compassion. He saw his bloody and brutalized body, and he didn't say, man, that's not for me. Call 911. Someone who knows what they're doing can help this man. You know, he actively expressed his compassion. Look again at that account in Luke chapter 10. He, he, was, he bound his wounds. He, he poured on oil and wine. That that. Oil was a salve. You know, he'd been beaten and thrown to the ground. Wine was a a simple antiseptic. In in Jesus' day, even in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 6, Isaiah 1, verse 6, from the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it but bruises and sores and raw wounds. They are not pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. So he he applied first aid. You know, he he got his hands, not just dirty, but bloody, unclean. He set him on his own pack animal. He brought him to an inn to care for him. He paid the innkeeper, you know, two denarii, two days pay. They would do the math back then. That would be about enough to keep this this brutalized man at the end for about two weeks. You know, but then he takes it a step further. He tells the innkeeper, take care of him. You know, and if there's need for more, I'll come back. I'll repay you upon my return. You know, it's not just a sweet story. You know, in fact, if you take a close reading of this account, most people call it the parable of the Good Samaritan. That word good is not in there. Don't know why we call it the Good Samaritan. Better rightly call it the Compassionate Samaritan. 
but it was a costly compassion. In his commentary on the parables, Simon Kistemacher writes this, and powerful truth, and I quote, The Samaritan knows what to do, and he does it well. And now here's the sting. Race, religion, and class distinctions are unimportant to him. He sees a fellow human being in need, and he is a man to help. And so the question for us is this. If this Samaritan shows compassion to this suffering stranger, how much more should we, who have been clothed with the righteousness of Christ, express the compassion of Christ to our neighbors? You know, the extravagant and sacrificial love of Christ compels us as Christians to express his compassion to the homeless, to the hurting. You know, how can Christians express this compassion? You know, at least three ways, not an exhaustive list. You know, but first, you know, I believe we we ought to pray, Lord, Ask the Lord, Lord, open my eyes so that that I might really see the needs of those around us. May I see my hurting neighbors. May I not look away, not pretend I didn't notice. I didn't see it, so I don't have to act. You know, ask the Lord to open our eyes. Second, attend to the physical needs of those who are struggling and suffering. Now, bind up their wounds, apply that Band-Aid, oil and wine, give them a ride. Now, digging in our wallets to cover a critical expense. And, you know, I know it requires wise judgment. You know, but remember the words of Jesus. You know, hear this, Matthew 25. Beginning with verse 35, Matthew 25, verse 35. Jesus says, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So we ask the Lord to open our eyes to see those who are hurting. We attend to the physical needs you know, of those who are struggling, suffering around us. But third and finally, we faithfully and humbly show and speak of the gospel message. You know, we address the greatest need of our hurting neighbors. Yes, you know, there are, there are these real physical needs. Don't ever want to diminish them. You know, but what's the real need? You know, it's a need for a personal relationship with Christ. 
a need for gospel hope in Christ. So we have the foundation. Uh, Compassion starts as we study God's law fruit. Compassion expresses uh, the costly love of Christ to our neighbor. Finally, the facts. The compassion of Christ compels us to show his love. Jesus gets to ask the last question here of verse 36. Fifth question, if you're keeping count. Jesus asks the lawyer, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? It's a barbed question. No, the question is not, who is my neighbor? But really the question, borrowing from William Hendrickson, the question is, am I being a neighbor to those needy ones whom the Lord places in my path? You know, it's not an invitation. It's not Fred Rogers, won't you be my neighbor? It's more the Christians say, I will be your neighbor. I'm coming. I'm not waiting for you to invite me to ask me. You're in need. Christ sees your need. Christ desires to minister to your need. And I pray that I will be that faithful gospel servant. Proved to be a neighbor. That's a strong word there. You know, which one proved? You know, look at the facts here, Jesus is saying. Which, Which of these three clearly unquestionably showed himself to be a neighbor. You know, does Jesus' love for me on the cross compel me to show his compassion to others? You know, to my neighbor. You know, a neighbor here, anyone in need who needs to hear of the love of God in Christ. You know, and the lawyer knows the answer. You know, very humbly believe he's not far from the kingdom of God. I'm sure he very quietly replied, the one who showed him mercy. You know, and even that word mercy is important to give you a taste of it. Titus chapter 3, Titus chapter 3, verse 4. Titus 3, verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. This man knew his need for God's saving grace. And so Jesus gives him two closing commands. Remember the lawyer's questions, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And here Jesus answers that. This this is what you must do. Go. You go. And do likewise. You know, as fruit, evidence, Uh, of your faith and trust in Christ, you will show Christ's costly compassion to those around us. 
around you. You know, one of my daily challenges as a pastor, a lot of joys, but daily challenges here and, um, you know, most of the week, most days, I'm, I'm in my study here, glad to be here at the corner of South Main and Cherry Street. I haven't been here for 150 years, but uh, people know where the church is, and they they always seem to find the pastor's study, even though we don't have signs. And uh, my challenge is ministering to my, my neighbor. Usually when it's I'm talking on the phone or someone's there, you know, wanting to, to chat for a few minutes or I'm on a deadline, I'm, you know, getting ready for a study or a sermon, I'll, see, I'll hear someone knocking at the door. Or I'll hear them shouting, you know, there in the breezeway. You know, preacher, preacher. You know, and thankfully they're not stripped, beaten, bloody, half dead. And it would be easy. Just call 911, come and get this person. You know, I hear their story. You know, I hear their request for help. And, and my main battle is not to be callous. You know, I know you're not telling the truth. And you know you're not telling the truth. And I'm grateful when I can refer them to the pregnancy center, to the refinery. You know, and the Lord gently and maybe not always gently reminds me you know, of my need to show compassion, you know, to the homeless, to the hurting, to the mentally ill. A lot of those out on the street these days. The angry atheist, to the least of these. They all need to hear the love of Christ. The Lord brings them to us. He causes our paths to cross their paths. You know, do do we see them? Do we have the compassion of Christ in our hearts? You know, to, to help them, to show them the love of Christ, to speak of the love of Christ. And may, that, may it be our prayer that the Lord would use each one of us. And this is church to express the costly compassion of Christ to our neighbor. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we, we thank you that you have shown us compassion, costly compassion there at the cross. We were those ones who were beaten, bruised, half dead, dead in our trespasses and sin. And you called us out of the tomb. You clothed us, Father, with your righteousness. You have cleansed us by your shed blood. You call us your sons and daughters, those who have been adopted into your family, loved with the sure saving love of Christ. How can we not but show that love to others around us? Forgive us when we, when I fail. I turn away, Lord. Pray that you would even give us that gospel opportunity this week. Father, so that we might be used of you to show that costly compassion of Christ to our neighbor, to those in need. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.